Blog Talk Radio. Notorious Ben Florence back at it once again for our first episode in the month of August. That's right, yeah, and uh, currently I am coming to you live from New Jersey State Route 17. Uh, headed back home, got out of work a couple minutes early, so that means I could sit in some traffic for a little bit, which is always great. So yeah, August is here. How about that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're heading back to school soon. That's right, I head back, uh, actually now it's two weeks from tomorrow, it's Friday, so, yeah, about 15 days, it's crazy. Yeah, we got a great show for you on hand, uh, we'll talk some NBA, we'll get some, uh, some, uh, interesting thoughts on Dan Snyder's comments about the Redskins as preseason football was officially underway last night, and, uh, some soccer news as USA star Land Dobbin announced his retirement months before his actual retirement is going to occur. But we begin today with uh, with big NBA news across the board, uh, primarily starting with the Kevin Love trade as the power forward is going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We have speculated on this show of where Mr. Love might go. There was talks of the Warriors for Klay Thompson, possibility of him going to the Lakers, or rumors of him going to Boston. But how soon... Did the Cleveland Cavaliers come on the market, and is this the right fit for Kevin Love? Well, I mean, it's now been rumored virtually ever since uh, LeBron uh, decided now about a month ago he was going to sign back in Cleveland. Everyone started to speculate, particularly since, and this is probably semantics, but because Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett, I believe, were not mentioned in his letter. A lot of people started to take that as, hmm, could that mean they'd be pawns for a love trade? And really ever since then, it's been the rumor that hasn't died and that it seems like, uh, and for Minnesota's purposes, the deal they would much rather do than than had it been a deal with Golden State because now for Minnesota, you get a potential uh, top Flight player in Andrew Wiggins instead of a really good, but not like a fran- but not a franchise cornerstone player to then overpaying Clay Thompson. So I didn't think this deal was going to happen. Now it's been rumored for a while, but I didn't think that Minnesota was going to pull the trigger on it yet. And but as usual, I was wrong. I'm surprised they did. I'm surprised Kevin Love wants to go to Cleveland. It instantly makes them, you know automatic favorites. We've seen teams in the past that have loaded up on big star players and have failed to fall through, that including being the big three. Although they did make the NBA Finals only two rings with uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron. 
Then we also saw big names when Carmelo went to the Knicks, when they got uh, Mari Stoudemire, and, and then when Jason Kidd decided to come back to the Knicks, everyone was thinking, oh, this dynamic team is prime and ready to win a title. How much pressure now does this put on Cleveland and uh, Akron's LeBron James to thrive to not only exceed expectations, but go beyond that now with Kevin Love on the team and when you uh, put them together with Kyrie Irving? Well, now it's interesting because one thing that was notable and a notable departure from the decision in LeBron's letter was he said, I know we're not ready to be a championship team that right away. Now you make a move like this, you're clearly signaling, well, we're going for broke right now, even though Love did sign a long-term deal. And Love is only 25. But now it seems like instead of, you know, playing a little the futures game with Andrew Wiggins and seeing what he could have turned out before the trade deadline, or, or even free agency had uh, Kevin Love not been dealt, which he probably would have, but, I mean, who knows. Now that you look at it, that's a team that's basically, you look on paper, that's certainly the best team in the Eastern Conference. Before you, could, you had a legitimate case, they could end up in the finals, uh, we have Chicago, but Chicago's relying on Derrick Rose. And Indianapolis co- completely just died with um, the uh, the Paul George injury. But now you look at this Cleveland team now, now it looks like a team that is going for broke and going to win the title. I think that puts a lot of pressure now, now on LeBron James, and particularly new coach David Blatt, who initially it was thought Cleveland, this wouldn't be the championship team. Now it looks like a team that could be, uh, that looks like with acquiring uh, a guy of the caliber of Kevin Love, that they will be trying to aim for championship right now. So it puts a lot of pressure on him, LeBron, Kevin Love, who's never been on a winning team before. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. You blend many personalities. You know, obviously you got LeBron, who's single-handling one of the best athletes of the modern era. Then you bring in a, a power forward, Love, you know, who's who's Mr. Double-Double, as, as Stan Everett will tell you, with, the, uh, with his coffee-making skills. But he can get boards, he can shoot from the perimeter, and then you have Kyrie Irving orchestrating at offense. It's now just a matter of who's going to fill you know, a shooting guard and maybe a center. Because LeBron James, we've seen in the past, has played in the post and has done well, and he can also handle the ball. It's just, I'm wondering with, with stuff like this, and of course LeBron James is more mature than when he was his first go-around at Cleveland, more mature than he was at Miami. You know, I, you know is, it, is it a matter of how soon will the press get on him for choking in situations? Or even still, what team has even enough talent to, to challenge with this? The first thing that comes to my mind of, of, of good, solid teams left in the Easter Conference is the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, definitely look at Washington. I think they were more of a stronger favorite before because, while well, they're a really uh, – they're a good team. They're a fun team. You know they're coached by Randy Whitman and they gave him an extension. They returned <laughs> virtually everybody with the exception of Trevor Reese. And you look at that club, it's very it's very solidly built, but it doesn't have the star power that a Cleveland would. But if you're going to take out this Cleveland team in the Eastern Conference, it's got to be this year because I feel like it'll be similar because then the initial year they'll be, uh, you know, Love and James, Kyrie Irving, they'll all be feeling each other out. So it could be a little slow start as it was in Miami. Once they get, like, comfortable playing with each other, I mean, forget it. That seems virtually a lot. 
So I think Washington, I think now the pressure raises on them. They got to do it now or risk being relegated to basically what the Indiana Pacers have been, a really good team that can't get over the hump. Right, they'd always be constantly put in the second banana roll of the Eastern Conference. Speaking of the Indiana Pacers, I uh, just want to wish speedy recovery to Paul George after his freak accident in the, uh, the, the, the white and blue scrimmage of USA Basketball. As if that didn't set back Coach K's squad, just this week Kevin Durant uh, announced his sort of resignation from the World Cup team, saying he was both physically and emotionally tired. And are physically and mentally tired as well, and it possibly could be watching you know Paul George get injured and at risk of his own injury. Where does this put USA basketball flow? You ultimately lose the best player on the team, and it's sort of evidence. It's sort of a pros and cons. You have you know a, a young point guard squad and a resurgence of Derrick Rose, and then you have you know guys like Kenneth Freed and Demarcus Cousins being, you know, primetime players, helping out Anthony Davis in the post. So you have all this positive momentum, and then immediately George gets hurt, and then Kevin Durant decides to leave the squad. Where does USA Basketball go from here, considering the World Cup is only just weeks away? Yeah, it definitely puts Coach K in a tough position because, obviously, you know, you lose a guy like George, uh, the freak accident, that certainly is going to cost you because, you know, that's just obvious. Now you're losing Kevin Love for whoever his reasons are. If he's uh, physically and mentally drained, which I don't really know what that means, mentally drained. I mean, it, but it could be on his part of a precautionary manager. He doesn't need to play. So, But I think it definitely, it definitely hurts. It's going to hurt their wing depth a lot because they're going to look at a guy like, like Durant to be – basically the lead dog, the alpha dog on this club. Now you look at this team, and, well, it's still a very strong club, and Coach K is as good as good a coach as any in the world. Now you wonder who is on this team, who is going to be the guy, they're down to with 15 seconds left, who is going to be that guy that they give the ball to and they need him to come through in the clutch. I think when you lose Durant, who – probably would in all likelihood going to be a guy. I think that could potentially hurt them in tight games if they don't have the go-to guy that can get them a bucket when they need it. Yeah, you, you, and you lose instant scoring. Because watching him in the Olympics, uh, Kevin Durant originally broke on the international scene when he was with the, uh, the, the world championship team in Turkey in 2010. And he single-handedly helped carry that team. Uh, with the help of Derrick Rose, back on the team with Lamar Odom, Rudy Gay, Chauncey Billups. Not major all-stars, but not scrubs either. This team, though, you know, it, it, almost sets, it almost sets ball back. And it's kind of sad because I understand where he's, where he's driving at. A lot of these players, you know, guys like Blake Griffin couldn't do it. LaMarcus Aldridge couldn't do it because of injury. But then you had guys like Andre Iguodala and Kevin Love, past players that were in Coach K's Olympic squad, that just said, no, they don't want to do it because, and of, like what we see of a lot of NBA players, the risk of injury. Now, I don't know how many, other than the Paul George accident, I don't know how many other injuries you know, we actually see in these games because most of the time, the games don't get that physical until you get to like the semifinals or even the championship. 
I don't understand. I think it's I think it's mainly this sort of it's almost like because you know we watched the World Cup this summer, and and the game of soccer, football, whatever you call it, is is like religion to some of these countries, and people will you know fight tooth and nail just to make the squad, even if they don't even play, they're still on the team. I think because we know we're so dominant in the game of basketball, and the NBA is the highest level. A lot of these guys sort of take Team USA for granted, in, in a way, because they know it's not the best thing in the world to achieve. Most of the players see the NBA championship as the best thing to achieve, hence why the Spurs are still doing great, hence why you know, Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker are still playing in their 30s. So a lot of these guys see Team USA as sort of second option. And that's kind of sad because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised before before we were singing their praises, thinking the USA is going to run through this like you know a hot knife through butter. I'm not going to be surprised if this team loses a game because you know we still have that target on our back. It'll prove one how good of a of a coach Mike Shishetsky is to know now he has to take probably the least quote unquote least talented group of guys and turn them into winners. I'm going to be surprised to see us lose to a team getting you know, out physical in the paint because, I mean, unless we put Boogie Cousins down there, you know, we have guys that can scrap for rebounds. We don't have very good guys that finish around the rim on the international game considering there's all the, you know, the the trapezoidal paint, the the length of quarters, the three-point arc. There's so many variables that a lot of these guys are so unexperienced with. I wouldn't be surprised if we lost. Because last time, yeah, the only time Coach K had lost at Team USA was against Argentina. And that was, you know, way back when he took over in, like, 2006. So, you know, the USA has their work cut out for them. I just think with Kevin Durant, you know, he's not, this guy's not going to get hurt. As skinny and as nimble as he is, if he would have gotten hurt, he already would have been injured by now. This guy's healthy as a horse. And it's just the whole thing with contracts and the fear of injury. It, it, it makes no sense to me. But, however, I'm an old man, and I digress. But, but speaking of basketball and speaking of the San Antonio Spurs, history was made this week when Greg Popovich decided to hire WNBA star Becky Hammond as a member of the Spurs coaching staff. I think I'm comfortable with with uh, my my best basketball IQ and stuff like that. Um, and I think the coaching thing, like it just kind of comes naturally a little bit to me. Um, this is obviously. Um, a huge opportunity, but again, it is basketball, and um, you know, so I'm very confident in that area. That's great, and it's uh, a tremendous uh, honor. Um, but I think the bigger point is I'm getting hired because <laughs> I'm, I'm capable, um, because of my basketball IQ, um, and, and stuff that they've seen um, in me personally. So those are probably questions more to direct at Pop, um, why I'm here. But uh, I know I'm just just thrilled for the opportunity to to coach these um, unbelievable athletes and from what I've known unbelievable people so Flo she makes history by becoming the first paid assistant on an NBA bench obviously history is dated back that females have been on the uh, the side of coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers John Lucas hired a female for sort of a part-time assistant role back in the 90s your boy Patino hired Bernadette Maddox as an assistant coach at Kentucky but Flo, you know, Becky Hammond comes now to a franchise that is coming off the heels of a uh, NBA title, and it seems like you know the history has been made. How good will this sort of experiment work for 
Greg Popovich's team? Well, I think that uh, Coach Pop, I think, well, first off, he's one of the best guys, really, who's staffed to work, and they have a brilliant system that's won them, you know, X amount of championships. And look at how many guys get hired off his coaching staff to be a head coach. We saw last year where he had Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta and Brett Brown in Philadelphia. He had two guys off his own staff that got their first head coaching job. And, sir, I, I think that Popovich, he looks at this hire, and I think he realized, I don't think he's really going for a gimmick here. I think he just looks at Hammond as somebody that he feels to be an asset to his coaching staff. I think Pop, uh, now, I, I think that he probably just assumes she can help, you know, be a key contributor for the squad. We've seen males coach in the WNBA. Why can't, a, you know, a female coach in the NBA? I, I see, I think, it's an, I think it's a tremendous move. I think if anyone were to make it, I think it speaks volumes that it's Popovich because he has so much, so much you know, NBA coaching gravitas. He's widely respected as the, probably the best coach in the NBA. He's won so many titles. He's, you know, he commands tremendous respect. Even when he, you know, he's doing his uh, doing his shtick with the, uh, the in-game interviews. So I think that Popovich, I think Hammond is a great situation for her, and I think for Popovich, I think it's you know it makes sense for her. If Popovich, if Popovich has no problem hiring a woman, then I think we're going to start seeing a lot more uh, female assistant coaches be hired on staffs across the association and beyond. It's a, it, when I first heard of this story, I thought it was very interesting because, you know, going to a school where where I myself, you know, well, uh, both of us watched our fair share of, of women and men's basketball games on the collegiate level. Right. You know, it's, right. it's, it's apples and oranges when you compare it from the women's game to the men's game. And oh, especially on the pro level. But it's interesting because it's almost like how the NFL has gone from, you know, back in the day of guys like Jim Brown and Walter Payton. It was, you know run and gun, fight through the trenches sort of style of football. And nowadays, you know, everyone is compl- talking about how it's a pass-first league, how defensive backs are becoming some of the highest-paid players in the league, how quarterbacks are, are now, you know, Fabergé eggs, wide receivers have become a more key role. We're seeing the spread offense more. Basketball is sort of the same way. Back in the day of the 90s, you know, obviously with the Jordans, of the world, you had the post players. You had the you know the Patrick Ewings and the Bill Lambeers and the big Aristotles and Shaquille O'Neal. And nowadays, it's become okay. sort of a sw- <laughs> it's become sort of a swingman uh, point guard style league, where we've seen you know how guys can go instead of going from the outside in. Nowadays, the NBA is from the inside out. Why the you know that why a center hasn't been most valuable player of the league, I think since Dirk Nowitzki, you know, and that seems like eons ago. And even him, he developed he's developed an outside jumper. So you got you got guys that are that are wanting to play guard. And from Becky Hammond's point of view, I want I champion the fact that she admits that she's hired because of her basketball IQ. Because everyone was saying, you know, oh, Popovich is just going to hire her because she's a female, he's going to break barriers. But actually, no, you know, Na- my girl Nancy Lieberman was coaching the Texas Legends. So there's been women involved in the NBA, and, or, you know, an NBA development league. But from her standpoint, she's very 
position specific. And I think the NBA is moving towards that. You know, they bring a lot of these former players to help with assistant coaches. We've seen Tyron Lue on the bench uh, for, for Doc Rivers' squad, for Doc Rivers' club. And she is a guard and could really help sort of break down film. Obviously, she's not going to be on the front lines, you know, being, you know, Pop's successor. But she helps. And especially how, like, the microcosm of the San Antonio Spurs are, it's, it's a good fit considering that, you know, from, a, from the women's basketball game, it's very slow, very methodical. Ironically, much how the San Antonio Spurs run their offense. So now, Flo, I ask you this question. Ever since Hammond has been hired, the, uh, the debate it doesn't necessarily shift from how many females will we see in the pros but now immediately lights a fire under the NCAA wondering when's the next time, when's the first time we'll see more females and the, uh, the NCAA men's side? I think that is definitely going to be coming. I think it's also, you know, the base of the fact that society is changing. I think people can realize that, you know, women can coach men. It, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the great Nancy Lieber women with the great Texas legend, our yes. favorite NCAA squad. And so I think that it's definitely it's definitely coming in college basketball. I think again, people will see if you, if, if it's okay with Craig Father, if she sees no big deal out of it, I think that it's going to be it's going to be almost like a domino effect. I think you're going to start seeing more women uh, get uh, you know get inter- uh, get into the position interview and then get jobs, assistant jobs. Uh, in college, in, in the uh, college basketball, in the uh, college basketball atmosphere. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like it would just start as assistants. You know, it won't go on a limb and say you know head coaching jobs are just going to be cleared open because uh-huh. they, they definitely it definitely is a new is a new flavor in the game of basketball because everyone's looking for we live in a society where everyone's looking for new ideas and this is this is no this is all reward no risk. Because even if the Spurs do bad, even if the Spurs do poorly next year, which I highly doubt they will, even with this hire, it the 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 whole operation of the San Antonio Spurs, you know, rests on the shoulders of one man and one man only. And at the end of the day, it's Greg Popovich. So it's just what is she con- what is she going to contribute to the team? And I think it's going to be guard play because, you know, especially in the women's basketball game, a lot of it's ball possession and optimizing the shot clock to its fullest. It'll be interesting. Uh, you know, kind of people. Many people frown upon it at first, but then when you think about it, you know, at the same time, it's like, come on now. It's like you know, you know uh-huh. keep, keep the kids, keep the kids away from the phone. That's right. <laughs> but also, a uh, quick shout out there. Yeah, <laughs> as to give a shout out to our, our good friend, the, the sports pope. Uh, on this day in 1992, the uh, U.S. men's basketball team sort of recaptured the uh, the glory as the dream team won gold in Barcelona. Flow. The game of basketball has evolved tremendously since that day. Uh, what was your what's sort of your biggest fa- memory of the Dream Team? Considering that none of us were, I think both of us were alive during that time. Yeah. Maybe I was. I was like two months old. But uh, your thoughts on the Dream Team and how the game of basketball has grown since? Well, I think it was really the, the debut. Right at that time, of the debut, the the rocket, you know, because the NBA was growing in power. Growing popularity in the 80s, especially when they had the rise of Jordan uh, Magic, or the rise in uh, Larry and Magic, and you have Jordan, 
so then uh, rising as well. So I think for a lot of those guys, they became huge global superstars instead of national superstars. And I think it, you know, it really changed the game, particularly with how dominant we were. I believe I think it led to a lot of other NBA, uh, or not every other NBA, the uh, national basketball programs to really kick their game up a notch as a direct result of the U.S. coming and showing their absolute best and then kicking the crap out of everybody. And you saw those guys, they, became, they were enormous stars. Uh, Barkley, Carl Malone, it wasn't just the big guys. Or John Stockton became huge. So I think it was it's forever a seminal moment in the history of basketball and not just the NBA, the dream team of 1992. Well, once again, it goes back to my original point when we were talking about Kevin Durant and how you know, the Olympics sort of it goes, it goes NBA champion, NBA title, Olympics, and then the rest. And that, that's you know where, I guess, basketball players stand, uh, hence why uh, – Mike Krzyzewski is now in an interesting situation as the U.S. national team will take on Brazil on the 16th in the, uh, the United Center in Chicago. And then they will go play a couple of games in the Garden. They will face the uh, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico on the 20th and 22nd before heading to Spain to take on the world in the uh, FIBA World Cup. So uh, we'll come back on the flip side. We'll talk some NFL. We'll, uh, we'll speak on the, uh, the Washington Redskins and the uh, preseason NFL beginning. We'll also talk some Tiger Woods. And who knows, maybe we'll give a shout-out to uh, as NASCAR turns right this weekend in uh, Watkins Glen. This you listen to Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com. Fanatic Radio. I have no decision-making capability on this program. That's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Log Talk Radio. Chance we could. Back room to the alley or the 
trusty wood I used to shield me but neither one cared We were getting our share Working on a nightmare Trying to lose a awkward teenage Radio is America's premier sports music program. It's an essential part of our society, like hot dogs and Cadillacs. With Mike Gardner and Ben Florence providing unique insight from the wide world of sports. He should just retire so he could dip him in bronze and ship him to the Hall of Fame. Playing only the hottest music. The only thing we ever play on the show is Motown and R&B. And 
always striving for perfection. We're climbing the ladder to success, escalator style. Yes! See for yourself. Check out Fanatic Radio only on Blog Talk Radio. It's Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Back here on Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program, Night Moves, Bob Seger. I want to give a shout-out to my brother, John Gardner, for recommending that song. No reason why. Also, a shout-out to Fox NASCAR coverage, as they always play that song uh, for the night races. Uh, this weekend is not a night race, but they go to Watkins Glen. And looking forward to it, a chance for guys to go all out to try to get that final or I get that key win to put them into the chase. We could potentially be seeing Richard Petty Motorsports get into the chase for the first time ever since the chase inception. As Marcus Ambrose is a key favorite. Uh, big news in the world of NASCAR after his victory at Pocono. The National Guard announced it would not be renewing its sponsorship with Dale Earnhardt Jr., which I find very sad because you don't cut the sponsorship of you know, NASCAR's most popular driver. And even Graham Rahal with a prestigious name as he is in the IndyCar series. It's, you know, it, this, this was a debate that Flo and I, you know, we had with, with Congress last year when they, when the Army and the Navy and the Marines and the Coast Guard were pulling out a sponsorship from sports altogether. And there were certain senators and, and representatives, uh, the names of the people who remain, remain nameless, but there's various people that just had beef with the sporting world, you know. Clearly, people that just didn't play sports growing up, thinking, you know, this is bad for the troops, especially in times of animosity. We're gonna get them out of this. It's a waste of money. And you know, actually, it's not, especially when you're at Dale Jr. How he's putting sponsors on the car and making millions of dollars for the good of the sport and of the National Guard. The fact that it's quote unquote, you know, a bad investment or not a good return on investment just seems so intestine. And, and just just moronic. Also, uh, back with Flo, this is the anniversary of the gold medal championship for Team USA uh, to the late great Chuck Daly. Also, players on the team. Interesting documentary. NBA TV released the Dream Team documentary back in 2012 when the United States was set to go to London for the London Olympics. Great documentary. Find it any way you can. Check your local listings on NBA TV. It's a fantastic piece. It goes behind the scenes to know that this dream team wasn't the most perfect experiment. It was, uh, you listen to Chuck Daly talk about him, Coach K, when he was an assistant on Chuck Daly's staff, along with Flo's boy, PJ Carissimo, that it's very, it was very hard to bring sort of the selected titans of, of the global game to come together and actually play as a team. And uh, they had fights in practice. There's egos. Charles Barkley, a fun fact, is actually the leading scorer of that team. Most people don't know that. Sir Char- Circumference of TNT uh, actually was the, was the big man. Not Michael Jordan, not, you know, Clyde Drexler, not Patrick Chewing. So watch the Dream Team documentary. Uh, be very, very great piece to watch. Also, this is the anniversary of the photo of, of um, Abbey Road by the Beatles. And, you know, millions and millions of records and albums sold. 
you know, platinum all over the place. They uh, took their picture on Abbey Road, one of the most iconic photos in the music industry today. Now we move to football before we get to the NFL, before we get to the uh, the skins of the mighty DC and their uh, their experience taking on the Pats in their opening game. I want to give a quick shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs for winning their preseason game against the Cincinnati Bungles. Interesting things in college football. Texas head coach Charlie Strong took the iconic burnt orange Longhorn logos off the helmet in practice after he is what what some have said a cultural revolution down in Austin after taking over from Mac Brown confirmed that seven players have been dismissed from the team and three more have been indefinitely suspended saying he expects his players to have core values if they want to play for him. And the first thing he did was he stripped the logos off the helmet for practice, which I applaud Coach Strong for that. It's good. You know, looking at, being a guy from Texas, obviously I, had no, I have no ties to the University of Texas. I don't have any allegiance to the burnt orange or the longhorns. But from someone that has grown up with friends and, with, with friends and colleagues that – you know, eat, sleep, and breathe from the university. It is a very interesting move because ever since they won their national championship in 2005, it's very interesting to observe sort of how Mac Brown handled the dynamics of the University of Texas football because at the end of the day, the past three, four seasons have just been an absolute train wreck. You know, you, you see, you see that the numbers of of big name stars leave. They go to different schools. Yeah, I can name several off the top of my head: Andrew Luck, Drew Brees, Matthew Stafford. You know, Adrian Peterson. These are pro, all pro players that did not go to the University of Texas, but are from my home state of Texas. And, you know, a lot of people were blaming the, the big heads at the university. And basically, you know, Mac, Mac Brown is almost similar to Joe Paterno. You know, God forbid Mac Brown you know, will stay healthy. I'm not wishing ill will on him. But that situation could not be more similar to the fact that he just lost all controls of his team. You know, the disciplinary issues, the the – uh, not the scandals, but just the attitude of the team, you know, the, the embarrassing losses to Rice and not going to a BCS game for quite some time, always being satisfied with Holiday Bowl. Charlie Strong immediately comes in, whips them into shape. They are a threat for the Big 12. Not this year, because I think Oklahoma still has one of the most talented teams in the country, as we mentioned uh, last week on Fanatic Radio. Oklahoma was picked fifth in the country. But Texas is a dark horse. Because strong-willed coaching is what you need from a giant state school with money up the wazoo. That's just a fact. So that is an interesting take on the University of Texas. Who knows what's going to happen? But Charlie Strong taking the right. It's almost like what Jurgen Klinsmann did with the U.S. soccer team. When he first came into the national team, took all the names off the back, and gave 22 players jerseys 1 through 22. For For the first few friendlies they went on, Many players went unidentified and had different numbers. And now look at them, you know. He's turned, he's turned, culturally turned that around. 
Also in the world of soccer, I want to give a shout-out to the MLS All-Stars. Caleb Porter, the Portland Timbers coach, former Akron Zips coach, led a team of mostly U.S. national team guys, but you know, I'm going to give shout-outs to Tim Cahill and Terry Henry, that they actually defeated Bayern Munich on Wednesday in a very impressive performance put on the U.S. national team. They bounced back. You know, Bradley Wright Phillips of the New York Red Bulls scored the uh, equalizer on a very good shot. A fantastic strike. But more importantly, what this segues into is my boy Landon Donovan scoring the game-winning goal. To And then they only played for like 20 minutes. He was subbed off. Or he subbed on for Henri. And then he was subbed off a few minutes later because he's playing with the Galaxy this weekend. But the big news actually came after when Landon Donovan announced his retirement from the MLS at the end of the season. Now, I look at this story in different angles because the way it works for most of the, uh, the so-called soccer pundits in America and those around the world is players usually retire from international game and then spend a few years you know, basking in the glory of their international days, bouncing from club to club, you know, playing in in a good, you know, enjoying their golden years in soccer, per se. Now, Landon Donovan never officially retired from the U.S. national team. And this is where all the red, this is where the red tape for me comes into play. He never officially said he wouldn't play for the U.S. men's national team again. But now he goes as far as saying he'll never play soccer again. And it makes no sense, because how does someone go from... You know, not making the World Cup squad. And then on one game when this Galaxy defeated the Seattle Sounders, said he was in you know, one of the best shapes of his life since he, you know, since several years ago. How does a player go from never saying he won't play for the U.S. men's national team again to just flat-out retiring? And why so quickly? Why not wait till the end of the season is now it's essentially Landon Donovan's swan song. I'm happy for him, and whatever decision he makes, you know, he's one of my favorite players ever to put on a United States, probably and probably the best player ever to put on a U.S. men's national team jersey, apart from Brad Friedel and Brian McBride. But I am calling his bluff. I do not think Landon Donovan is, is actually set to retire. Because it's interesting what his opinions are now than what they will be in November when ultimately the MLS season will come to an end, because this team probably will make the playoffs. What happens then? What happens when Jurgen Klinsmann is calling up teams for these friendlies? You know, the United States plays the Czech Republic, Northern Ireland, Colombia. Is Donovan actually going to be on the team? Or has the beef between him and Klinsmann been so far ostracized that he'll never put on a U.S. jersey again? And it's interesting, the comments he made about Klinsmann, which Jurgen Klinsmann probably just sitting back you know, just ignoring, as Donovan put it, the poor decision. Very interesting take. And curious to see what Landon Donovan does. Because, I, like I said, I do not think he, this guy is going to retire. 32 years old. I've seen guys play into their 40s. Steven Gerrard is still playing for Liverpool. We clearly saw him. We saw him play on the U.S. tour that Liverpool just finished. And he's in his he's mid-30s. He's almost 36 years old. David Beckham played to his 37, and he went to PSG. 
after leaving the galaxy. Landon Donovan is 32 years old. And I, I credit it to two things. One, yes, the World Cup decision did have a lot. It has a very big psych. Of course, I've never been in that situation, but it has a huge psychological effect, knowing that you train so hard to not get the, not earn the credit you deserve in, in, in their mind. And the second thing is, and I'm not having to go with the MLS, but you can only take playing against competition like that for so long. And what I mean by that is many years ago, during Dobbins' many European spells, when he was playing with Everton, Everton actually wanted to buy his contract, and the MLS said no. It made him a designated player of the league, saying he was the face of the franchise. Had Donovan been allowed to go play in Europe, had he have kept his skills prime in the English Premier League, he would not have retired. Land Donovan would still be playing soccer to this day, maybe in a U.S. national team player. You might want to put this in the mail before you go to jail. Interesting comments now as we move to the NFL, the National Football League actually semi-started last night. You know, not that millions cared, but they did as preseason football was officially underway. But the biggest story, uh, for Fanatic Radio at least, the uh, Washington Redskins have officially taken the field as the Redskins, despite all the, the, the Senate hearings, commercials and the activism Washington is still called the Redskins and it is very interesting to see the response several outlets on social media have said they refuse to call the team by its nickname they just call it Washington's NFL team and Redskins owner Dan Snyder went on outside the lines defending his team saying, quote, it's just historical truths and I'd like them to understand, as I think most do, that the name really means honor and respect. They go on to talk about Hail to the Redskins, the song they sing when the team scores a touchdown or a field goal or a point. Now, we have been very quiet on this situation. Last time Fanatic Radio talked about this was during the NBA Finals when uh, several group of Native Americans ran an ad highlighting you know, Geronimo and Jim Thorpe saying, you know, heroes, mothers, fathers, this is what we call, this is what we call you know, Native Americans, but what we don't call them. And then they showed the picture of the Redskin logo. Now, this is a very interesting topic because it is still very big in the public eye that it's quote-unquote racist, that the NFL is allowing the Washington Redskins to keep this name, you know, weeks before the season starts. At the end of the day, Dan Snyder is still the ultimatum in this in this story. And if he if he stuck by his team then, and he sticks by them now, there is no way he is going to change his name, the name of this team. There's just no way. You know, unless something major and drastic happens between now and possibly when the NFL season is going on, nothing is going to change. Because what the NFL is doing is sweeping this under the rug as they are knee-deep, waist-deep in, in all sort of issues. they got the concussions. They've got the start of the season. They have Josh Gordon and Alden Smith awaiting 
you know, monumental suspensions for drugs and gun possession. They have the Ray Rice de- debate and every female mad at Roger Goodell for his views and the league's views of domestic violence. This is going to be swept or just pushed aside by the NFL. Not that I think they should change it, because at the end of the day, it, you know, it's, not, it's not my judgment or my, my fair share to share my opinion if they should change the name. It's a team name. It's a mascot. You know, it's not like like Robert Griffin and and Brian Arakbo are having a personal effect on on the Native Americans. They just beat the Patriots last night. You know, Robert, Robert Griffin's worried about becoming a pocket passer, picking Tom Brady's brain. And I'll give you this. You know, I won't say my opinion if they if they change the name or not. But I just think the, it's all in the NFL and Dan Snyder's hands to do that no matter what sort of legislation leads. But I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, fans, the players that support the Washington Redskins, support the team because it's a football team. They don't support it for the culture. They don't support it for, you know, the the propaganda or what it means. They support it because it's a football It's a football team. 22,000 fans went to Richmond, Virginia, to see the Redskins practice with the Patriots. FedEx Field was sold out last night. Don't tell me these fans could care less what the team is called. They wanted to see their team win. Because quite frankly, they're last year. I wanted to go see them play the Chiefs. And they stunk. He'll lucky if he's taking basket weaving. He's going to make $120 million next year. That's all the players. They're just they're guys on a football field being coached by Coach Gruden, and they work for the NFL. They are employees of the Redskins. They are employees of Dan Snyder. It's like, you know, unless something major happens, which is what we saw with the Clippers, how, you know, Donald Sterling's wife has taken full ownership, so she now has the power to change it. Nothing is going to change for this because – I mean, even if it did, it would take so long for the NFL to change of change. We've got merchandising and all the licensing stuff. Nothing will change. And the fans could care less what the team is called. They love their football, and they love the NFL. Where do I buy the Nike shoes? Also, another big thing with the, uh, the NFL, and I'm very excited about this. A, a team that I'm looking forward to watching is the New York Football Giants. Now, I want to give a shout-out to Michael Strahan. Uh, Strahan went into the Hall of Fame this past weekend and had one of the speeches I have heard. Because, I mean, no speech will ever top you know, Warren Sapp ad-libbing and his quotes of, it's a Kane thing, you wouldn't understand. But Michael Strahan's speech was very interesting, considering that he called himself a probable Hall of Famer. Now, for the young kids out there, and it was great when he addressed his, his three daughters and son, and basically linked his life in stages. You know, his childhood and the, the three sort of generations of playing with the New York Football Giants, and the Super Bowl, all linked to it to improbability. And the fact that he had, you know, the BO, had the bob, had the booty on the back, and, you know, had the Fonda tapes and then Herschel Walker and he was inspired by all these Hall of Famers but then he was also inspired by John Fox and Jim Fossil and Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning 
it was great to know that nothing was impossible, just improbable. And also I want to give a shout out to Ray Guy who said that the Hall of Fame now is a complete team. Great words from a punter knowing that his position is more key than anything. But in terms of, of the New York football giants, I am very excited to watch them as Miles Gardner will pledge his allegiance uh, NFC-wise to the Giants because of sort of the cultural changes that they're going through. Now, they return most of their players, and they've, and they've picked up some offensive uh, ways of running their plays as the new as the new offensive uh, the, a quarterback coach has come in and really revolutionized the way the Giants offense is because it's great it's great that the NFL is turning into sort of this fast-paced league and how the Peli Manning is now up in our, up in the uh up to the gauntlet of, of having a, a, a 70% pass completion. It's fantastic. I love how the fact that the NFL is doing this. Because basically what it's doing is a new quarterback's coach, Danny Langsdorf, challenged Eli Manning to complete 70% of his passes. And also, he wants to speed up the, the huddle, get to the, you know, gets the, the line faster, it's great. The NFL is, is doing this. New York Football Giants are going to be a very good team, I'll tell you why. They return most of their defense, and they have an offensive threat of, of Victor Cruz. I think Hakeem Nix is still there. And then uh, Lamar, Oden, or Lamar Odell, who's drafted from LSU, has some of the biggest hands in the game of football. And with Eli Manning with, a, with 70%, whatever, it'd be interesting to see. They're going to run through the NFC. And it'd be great to see them go up against very good past defensive teams because those are essentially where games are won and lost. And I'm excited. The Giants, a team to watch out for. Dark horses. Of course, our NFL picks will come later uh, when we reach September. But um, we'll take another quick break when we come back. We will uh, give some shout-outs for this weekend, some what to watch. But you're listening to FNAC Radio on blogtalkradio.com. Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain! <laughs> the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio.
radio. It's as good as it gets. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. You are the height of just too much of it. Back here on Fanatic Radio for the two-minute warning. Temptations, get ready. My gardener with the notorious Ben Florence, who uh, had a little bit of uh, trouble on the highway as we encourage fans and listeners to don't text and drive or you'll get the, uh, the Fanatic Radio PD on your case. But to end the show, I want to talk about Tiger Woods, who uh, is currently competing in the PGA Championship in Louisville, Kentucky at Valhalla Golf Club. And it's interesting. Mr. Woods uh, had some back problems. We mentioned it on the show. As as you know, we just the last time we talked about Tiger Woods on Fanatic Radio was what do we see next of Tiger? And Flo was saying it was very interesting in the fact that Tiger Woods always considered against the field. Even when Roy McIlroy goes out of his mind and wins by by more strokes than you can shake a stick at. And it's interesting. He dropped out of the uh, the WGC Bridgestone in Ohio lasts four days with back problems. Back problems so bad he couldn't even t- bend down to tie his shoes, untie his shoes. So now he says he's pain-free to compete in a major, side note. And you know, just out of the gate, he shoots. He's three over par, 74, nine behind leaders uh, Lee Westwood and Kevin Chappelle. And... His first couple of shots were an absolute disaster. Now, I don't understand this. As he says, he's pain-free, which, which, first off, no, he's not. Because I've played very little golf. I'm the king of putt-putt, but not of regular golf. But I think I'm fair to say that even when you change your swing, the mechanics of golf are still very similar. And that it's very hard to sort of recover. He had surgery in March. It's almost like Tiger Woods, rest, stay out. You know, he's coming back quicker than guys with with other injuries like that. You know the fact that he comes out so quick. It's 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 miraculous, Fanatic Radio. But but Woods is is coming out and saying he's going to play pain free. I have no idea if he's going to make it. He'll probably miss the cut. But. Who knows what Tiger Woods is going to do for the rest? I'm curious to see what he does with us the tournament. Because if he shot that bad, four days, he needs to take a step back. He's always trying to force the issue, push the envelope. Because what's going to happen is he's going to continue to damage himself so far to the fact that it's going to be very long term. All I can say is we warned you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Fnatic Radio. Uh, check out the podcast on iTunes, Beef 360, blogtalkradio.com slash Fnatic Radio. Check out our uh, extensive interviews as well the past few weeks. Our thoughts on Becky Hammond becoming the assistant with the Spurs. The future of USA basketball, in which it looks bleak, but knowing Coach K can string something together before Spain. And Mike Gardner's rant on the Redskins and Landon Donovan. For all of us, the notorious Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner. So long. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Fnac Radio.